Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 59. Today we will be reading book 13, chapters 26 through 30 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we are covering today. Today, St. Augustine distinguishes between a gift and a fruit, so as to show us what it means to receive from God and what we've received in creation. So we'll talk about the distinction there. This leads him to the end of Genesis 1 and a discussion on what it means for things to be good as God sees them. And finally, today he'll say a word refuting the Manichaeans concerning creation and the beginnings of the world. So before we turn to that, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 26. But those who take delight in these fruits are the ones who are fed by them, and they whose God is their belly do not take such delight in them. For in them that yield such fruit, the fruit is not found in the things they give them, but rather in the mind with which they give them. Thus I plainly see why he who served God and not his own belly rejoiced, and seeing this I rejoice with him. For he had received from the Philippians what they had sent to him by way of Epaphroditus, yet I perceive why he rejoiced. He is fed upon the very thing in which he rejoices. For speaking in truth, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me, though it had become wearisome. Thus, through long weariness, these Philippians had now dried and withered up, as it were, in their bearing of this fruit of a good work. And he rejoices for them because they were flourishing anew, not for himself, because they supplied his needs. Therefore, he immediately adds, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. At what then, O great Paul, do you rejoice? At what do you rejoice? Upon what do you feed, O man, renewed in the knowledge of God, after the image of him who created you? O you, living soul, having such great continence, O you, tongue, like birds on the wing, speaking mysteries. For it is to such creatures that this food is owed. What is it that feeds you? Joy? Let me hear what follows. Nonetheless, you have done well, sharing in my affliction. At this he rejoices, and upon this he feeds, not because his affliction was eased, but because they had acted well. Yes, he says to you, you have given me room when I was in distress. 
for he knew how to have abundance and how to suffer want, and you who strengthened him. And he says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me help once and again. Now he rejoices that they have returned to these good works and is gladdened that they flourish anew as when a fertile field resumes its growth. Was it because of his own needs that he said, you provided for my needs? Did he rejoice because of that? No, that was not the cause of his joy. But how do we know? Because he himself says immediately thereafter, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit. I have learned from you, my God, how to distinguish between a gift and a fruit. A gift is a thing given by him who imparts these necessities to us, such as money, food, drink, clothing, shelter, and assistance. But fruit is the good and right will of the giver. For the good master said not only he who receives a prophet, but added because he is a prophet. Nor did he only say he who receives a righteous man, but added because he is a righteous man. And thus shall the one receive the reward of a prophet and the other the reward of a righteous man. Nor does he only say whoever gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, but added because he is a disciple. Thus concluding, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. The gift is to receive a prophet, to receive a righteous man, or to give a cup of cold water to a disciple. But the fruit is to do this because he is a prophet, because he is a righteous man, or because he is a disciple. Elijah was fed fruit by the widow, who knew she fed a man of God and fed him for that reason. But by the raven he was fed it with a gift, not the inner Elijah, but only the outer, who might also have perished for want of such food. Chapter 27 Therefore, I will speak what is true in your sight, O Lord, when carnal men and unbelievers, who require the sacraments of initiation and mighty miraculous deeds, which we suppose to signify by fish and whale, if they are to be won over and initiated into the faith, if such carnal men offer bodily refreshment to your servants or give them some other aid by means of something useful for this present life, since they do not know why and to what end this must be done, they neither feed your servants nor are they fed by them. Indeed, neither are they animated by a holy and right intent, nor do the others rejoice at their gifts, the fruits of which they do not yet behold. For the mind feeds upon that which gives it joy. Therefore, the fish and whales do not feed upon such food, which the earth brings forth only after it is separated and divided from the bitterness of the waves of the sea. Chapter 28 And you, O God, saw everything that you had made, and behold, it was very good. Yes, we also see the same, and behold, all things are very good. When you had declared concerning each of your works, let it be, and they came into being, you saw that each was good. Seven times have I counted the word, saying that you saw that what you had made was good. And this eighth time, it is said that you saw everything that you had made, and behold, it was not only good, but also very good, with all things together now having their being. For each of them apart was only good, but altogether they are both good and very good. All beautiful bodies express the same truth, for when all a body's parts are beautiful, it is far more beautiful than the same members are by themselves, by whose well-ordered blending the whole body is perfected, even though each of the various parts is beautiful. Chapter 29 And I looked carefully to discover whether it was seven or eight times that you saw that your works were good when they pleased you. But when I considered your sight looking upon them, I could find no time that would enable me to understand that you saw them as many times as you made them. 
And I said, Lord, is not this your scripture true, since you are true, and you who are truth itself have set it forth? Why then do you say to me that there is no time in your sight, whereas this your scripture tells me that on each day of your creation you saw that what you fashioned was good, and when I counted them I discovered how often you did so? You responded to me, for you are my God, and with a powerful voice you tell your servant in the ear that is within him, breaking through my deafness and crying out, O man, what my scripture says, I say, and yet it speaks in time, though time is not found in my word, because my word exists with me, equal in my eternity. Thus the things that you see through my spirit I see, just as what you speak by my spirit I speak. And so when you see those things in time, I do not see them in time, just as when you speak in time, I do not speak them in time. Chapter 30 And I heard, O Lord my God, and drank in a drop of sweetness from your truth. And I understood that there are some men who are displeased by your words, men who say that you made many of your works while being compelled by necessity, such as the fabric of the heavens and the harmony of the stars, and that you did not make them from what was yours, but that they already existed elsewhere, having been created by another source, so that you might then gather them together, fit them together, and combine them, when from your conquered enemies you raised up the bulwark of the universe, so that now that they were bound by this structure, they might not again be able to rebel against you. And for other things, they say that you neither made them nor ever fit them together, such as all bodily things, all very minuscule creatures, and whatsoever has its roots in the earth. Rather, they said, a hostile mind, which had a different nature that was not created by you and was set in opposition to you, begot and fashioned these things in these lower domains of the world. How mad are the men who say this, for they do not see your works by your spirit, nor do they recognize you in them. Okay. Big day for us, Father Gregory. Do you know why? Um, we graduate today? Are we graduating? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, perfect. But also, in addition to graduating, we're not graduating. Uh, <laughs> but in addition, it's our penultimate episode, day 59. That's it. That's nuts. It is nuts. I, this is always, in my mind, not that this matters at all, but I'm going to share a little bit. So we've come this far. I'm going to take this opportunity. Um <laughs> <laughs> I was back in my day, high school, college, a bit after I was, I, I was a runner. I ran. Father Gregory ran too, a bit. Um, he's run in his life. Um, and one of the types of uh, like workouts that, you know, that I like to do a lot were like repeats. So whether they're 1K repeats or mile repeats or 400 meter repeats, whatever they are. And I remember when I was starting out running, uh, my high school coach always said, you know, to that everyone can sort of hammer the last one. It's the penultimate one that, you know, that matters that you need to stay focused. And two, I, I ran the mile a lot in, in high school. And it's that lap three of four, you know, that penultimate lap where it's like make or break time. So in my mind, whenever I get to the penultimate thing of something, I always think like, this is the one that matters. The next one we're going to cruise through. And not that this should be like doing repeats for running or whatever but it's been a good while that we've been at it so kudos and here we are penultimate episode amen and i think people can identify with that because even if it's been like unto pure and unalloyed joy throughout the entirety of these 60 days i can imagine that people are looking forward to finishing <laughs> well there's something to be said for accomplishing it and and closing the book or turning off the podcast as the podcast's run you know what i mean but uh-huh yeah home stretch y'all it's great it's not nothing to work through the confession. So 
I'm proud of me. <laughs> I'm proud of you all. Too. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's head to the chapters that we have on on queue for today. In the queue? In the queue. In the hopper? In the hopper. On offer. On the hopper. Yep. On tap. <laughs> okay. All right. So back to the commentary uh, that Augustine offers us through the creation narratives in Genesis. So today we begin with, well, not we, today St. Augustine. So I guess we with St. Augustine begins by distinguishing between a gift and a fruit. And he, and he sort of, as far as I understand it, I had to read it a couple of times and to kind of suss it out. But as far as I understand, a gift is is anything that we're given is a gift, you know, because it is God who is the giver of all things and we are not due or owed anything. So he goes through a list of things that that constitute gifts and, it, you know, it's not an exhaustive list, but all things given are, are gifts to be received by God. But the fruit of it is not something separate in, in itself, but it's it's sort of the manner in which it's received. So all people can receive gifts from God, you know, believers, non-believers alike, even like just the gift of life we can think about. But the fruit of it is, is, is kind of what it bears and what it brings forth through our reception and use of it. So I don't know. I, th- I think that's kind of helpful. I think it's an interesting to think about. What do, what do you think? Do you see it differently, Father Gregory? What do, what do you see? What do you think? Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> gifts, fruits, doesn't matter. Yeah. So I um I'm thinking of the word grace, which has three basic senses. One is something, you know, gratis, freely given. One is the actual gift itself. And then one is the thanksgiving that we render for it. So when St. Thomas Aquinas writes about grace, he introduces the concept with that threefold understanding of what it might mean. And then he identifies, okay, well, we're typically talking about the second of those three, namely what's imparted to us. But also, we recognize it as such in light of the first of those three and with an eye towards the third of those three. So in light of the fact that it's freely given by God and in light of the fact that it ought to generate in us a kind of thanksgiving. And so one thing that emerges from that picture is an idea of activity, right? So it's initiated by the divine activity and it ought to generate in us a kind of human activity, almost superhuman activity, because it goes beyond the limits of our nature uh, so that we recognize the giver and so that we render him due thanks, but also so that we act upon it as we are meant to. And I think fruit, it captures something of that activity dimension insofar as um, we think about a fruit as the full realization of something organic, you know, a tree. So, you know, a tree puts out leaves, it puts out blossoms, it puts out fruits ultimately. And the fruit is the thing that we enjoy the most. So we recognize in it a kind of perfection of activity. Uh, so we are meant to be fruitful. You judge a free a tree by it, a free by its truths. <laughs> Woo! You judge a tree by its fruits. And so we're looking to cultivate this kind of perfection in our Christian lives by God's grace and with an eye to his glory. Yeah, and St. Augustine, he comments too on on the giving or the reception of things given, of gifts, of, of fruits, and recognizes that, you know, the people often ask for miracles or gifts or things that pertain to comfort or or need or goodness in this life, but not as regularly as often as we should that of, for things that pertain to the next life. So as Father Gregory explained, you know, this distinction as, you know, I sort of pose, this is, is this important? Well, the importance here is that, that when we are given gifts when we ask and receive and and move, cooperate, act with the graces and the gifts that were given such that they bear fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. We do so not with an eye towards this life. You know, we can't ask for things for this life, but ultimately with an eye towards the life to come um, that we might be saved, made holy, and and drawn into the divine life of, of the Trinity that we might share in that forever. So um, there is an end and, and a purpose to all of it. And 
and that's it. So is there a purpose to life? Yep, there is. That's what it is. <laughs> Goodbye, existentialists. So moving through, book of Genesis. Now he, he's talking about, uh, or he's going to talk about goodness again, but this time the, the goodness of creation. We've talked earlier about the goodness of God and how from God's goodness comes creation and in God's goodness exists creation, but now he's going to comment a bit on, on the fact that God creates and he sees, knows his creation to be good. Yeah, as I said, remember that that this goodness isn't something, and I was going to say it's it is inherent in us, in as much as we've been made good, but it's not something that that we've we've created for ourselves, but something that we've received. One of the things that I that I um, it's something we've talked about in these episodes in Book Thirteen, but that I that I like a lot, so perhaps that's why I keep talking about it. But goodness here also it doesn't pertain just to the particulars; it doesn't just pertain to like the squirrel outside and, and like me as, as isolated kind of things. Um, I was kind of looking out my window here, sitting at my desk and there's a cat that always tries to get into my church here. You know, I'm not sure if that cat's good, but all things are good. So I guess it has to be good, but it's, so it's not just individual things that are good, but also the wholeness of creation taken together. That is good. The wholeness of creation that works together, that's designed with a particular ordering and hierarchy that moves, that reveals, that glorifies God, moves to God, reveals God, all of this. It reminds us that this goodness permeates. It's not just in this or that thing or in an isolated, unrelated kind of bit of creation. Um, I think it's important to remember that, that we're part of this goodness, that we're made in this, like in the goodness of creation. Um, I like it. So I don't know if you like it, Father Gregory, but. I'm pro goodness of creation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I could be uh, against it without incurring serious problems. Um, yeah, no, and I think that the point that you make about uh, the relationships or what holds it all together is super important because why? Well, I think that we as 21st century individuals are inclined to think about things individualistically or somewhat abstractly, that is to say, set apart from other considerations. But that's just not our experience of life, and we need to be honest before our experience of life. So for instance, when we are born, we're born into a family, into a community, into a, a nation or country, and we're already implicated in all of these relationships from an early age, you know, from the earliest age. And you think about it, if you were baptized as an infant, you know, already these, these mysteries are brought to bear in your life even when you cannot consciously recognize them or volitionally, you know, that is to say, like freely engage with them, yet it's already there. It's already working. It's already appealing to you and drawing you in a direction which, you know, you may want to go or may not want to go regardless. And so I think that when we, when we talk about creation, we're talking about creatures in relation to each other. Creation is just a relation of dependence of all things upon God, but God creates things such that they're in relationship because that's part of their nature. That's part of what it means for them to be, you know, trees or animals or human beings. Um, no man is an island. All of us pertain to a, at least an archipelago. Cheers. That's a great word. But we're meant to live in communion because that's the pattern upon which we're created, which is to say the divine life. And that's the goal for which we are ultimately destined. And so I think that um, it helps to address some of our individualistic thinking, whether in prayer and the way that we approach the sacraments and the way that we live our Christian communities. So dot, 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 super helpful. Here on our penultimate, you might not have realized this is our penultimate episode. Um, and here at the end of these chapters on the, in this episode, in having reflected on creation and the creation of things by our one true God, um, the creation of things out of God's goodness, 
St. Augustine turns his attention briefly, it's a short little chapter, but to mention the Manichaeans again. So if you remember, St. Augustine belonged to this Manichaean sect for some nine years of his life before becoming a Christian, and as a Manichae, believed in a sort of dualist account of creation and existence, such that there's a God of the material world that's evil and a God of the spiritual world, incorporeal world that's good, clearly here. As we've walked through Genesis um, with St. Augustine, we can see that that idea of two gods, of some of even the physical world being created as an evil, as something that's bad to be avoided in the spiritual world, you know, is something to be pursued and is at odds with the created world. We see here that whole sort of idea notion fall apart, that what the Manichaeans had believed or do believe in this sort of dualistic reality just doesn't hold up to what the scriptures actually reveal, what God reveals through his scriptures. Yeah, a little word on the Manichaeans. Um, I don't think they come up again. So Father Gregory, any final thoughts on the Manichaeans and the send-offs to them, to us? Send-offs to the Manichaeans. Um, well, I think you began with a, with a sports image. I think I may have adopted some Olympic imagery, but you began with a sports image saying that uh, this is like our, our last or second to last lap, as it were. I, I, I think I want to conclude with a, a wrestling image, which is to say professional wrestling image. This is like St. Augustine is the wrestler who gets up on the ropes and then like flies and just crushes his opponent beneath his overwhelmingly strong elbow. So this he just, he just dealt the people's elbow to the Manichees here. So that's a nice little send off. Yeah, I have nothing more to say. Who could, who could top that? <laughs> so we'll leave you there on this. If you didn't realize our penultimate episode, we'll pick up tomorrow <laughs> to wrap up the confessions. Unbelievable, but awesome. But until then, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.